Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Well, let's have a look and see what we've got in the news. Well, there's a piece caught my eye this week about Ferrari cars, and Ferrari started to accept payments for its vehicles, for its luxury sports cars in cryptocurrency. And that's in the United States. They're about to extend that scheme to Europe. And that's following requests from wealthy customers. That's what the marketing and commercial chief said to Reuters. Microsoft this week closed its deal on a 69 billion US dollar purchase for Activision. And that was after the Competition and Markets Authority in the United Kingdom withdrew its objections to the deal going through after it was satisfied that uh, Microsoft had made sufficient change to the structure of the deal. So all the concerns of the CMA had been addressed. The CMA is the equivalent of the antitrust legislator in the United States. And they're based in the United Kingdom. And they blocked Microsoft's original purchase of this company, which is a gaming company. And they have a leading game called Call of Duty. And it was originally blocked by the Competition and Markets Authority because they thought Microsoft would be gaining too much control of cloud-based gaming. But having satisfied the conditions laid down by the CMA this week, the deal is now going ahead. The attack on Israel by Hamas and all the fighting taking place in the Gaza Strip since then has pushed oil prices up. And Brent crude is now trading at its highest price for some time at $90 a barrel. Pharmaceutical company Pfizer said its profits will be lower this year than forecast. And that's because of the fall in sales of COVID vaccines. So perhaps with COVID vaccines becoming lower than expected, does that mean that COVID's going away? Or does it just mean that people have given up vaccinating against COVID, which could be even more dangerous? Well, not sure what the reason is. It's cut its annual forecast by 13% as a result of the fall in COVID vaccine sales. Its full-year revenue forecast has been cut by 13% and it said it will cut $3.5 billion US dollars worth of jobs and expenses because of a lower than expected sale of the COVID-19 vaccine and treatments. Pfizer, of course, earned record profits during 2021-2022 and it topped $100 billion last year after developing the vaccine with German partner BioNTech and an antiviral treatment Paxlovid on its own. The revenue for those two products alone was $56 billion. Pfizer and other pharmaceutical companies have been selling updated versions of their COVID vaccine this autumn. They expect to achieve $58 billion US dollars and $61 billion. The drug maker said it now expects 2023 revenue somewhere between $58 and $61 billion US dollars, down from its prior forecast of 67 to 70 billion dollars and the reduction is solely due to the lowered expectations for the COVID-19 products. Shares in the New York-based company were down 7% after the statement. The World Bank said this week that Ukraine will need about 411 billion dollars to reconstruct the damage done by the war and of course this is still ongoing so that bill could get higher. The European Union's total budget is 1.8 trillion euros, and that was being put together this week for the next seven years. And what's clear from some of the statements coming out of the comments from Brussels is that it needs to find more income to cover the cost that's been incurred from Russia's war in Ukraine. As a membership organisation, of course, it can only draw that money from the members of the European Union. 
through their membership fees. So it remains to be seen how that will play out over the next few years. We live in difficult times. Stellantis, the parent company of Chrysler, and Ford Motor Company said on Friday that they will temporarily have to lay off 1,250 employees due to the impact of the United Auto Workers' strike. Stellantis says it has 1,340 employees on a furlough presently, and that's because of this four-week strike that continues. 700 employees at two plants in Indiana were laid off on Friday. Ford said it's laying off 550 employees after walkouts at its Kentucky truck plant and the Chicago assembly plant. Ford said it'll also be laying off 300 people at the Ohio transmission plant and about 250 at Michigan, along with 12 in Chicago. In total, Ford said it has about 2,480 employees laid off since the strike began on September the 15th. This could impact production, of course, at its largest factory worldwide. 34,000 UAW workers at the Detroit 3 are on strike. Well, there's some strange news coming out of India this week. It says that they want to push developed nations to become carbon negative, not carbon neutral, but carbon negative by 2050. And they're arguing the case that this would allow emerging market economies more time to use fossil fuels for their development needs. And that's according to two Indian government sources reported by Reuters. India, which is resisting calls to commit to a deadline of phasing out its own use of coal and other fossil fuels, is to make the proposal at the COP28 climate summit in Dubai later this year. Well, I think that'll go down like a lead balloon. It's clear that everybody on the planet needs to make some adjustments to their own behaviour if we are to reach climate change targets and to stop the CO2 emissions and other toxic greenhouse gases entering the atmosphere and destroying the planet. And the planet's for everybody. And if the planet's for everybody, everybody's going to take their fair share of the burden. And we all need to behave very different. The Taliban have been invited to the Belt and Road Conference, which is to be held in Beijing, China, next week. And that's because the Taliban are seeking investment in Afghanistan. And China are said to be interested in investing And that's because Afghanistan is said to have deposits of copper, gold and lithium. And the Chinese are expanding the Belt and Road Initiative, of course, as they have done over the past 10 years or more, to extract metal from the ground. The Amazon drought is stalling ships and boats are running aground in low rivers. So yet again we have a water issue with drought emptying the rivers. A barge carrying three trucks, 2,000 empty cooking gas cylinders, lies stranded on the vast sandbanks of a diminished Rio Negro river. It ran aground last month. And it highlights what's happening in all these rivers with climate change. Low river levels risk disrupting grain exports from nearby farm states. And the barge routes are used by grain firms such as Cargill, Bunge and Amagi. Loads are being reduced as a precaution against grounding ships, but the photograph I've seen uh, looks a very dry riverbed. The captain of the beach boat, which had tugs, said he'd come to pick up supplies in Manaus for Borba, which is about 175 miles away on the Madeira, an Amazon tributary, where water levels have fallen to record lows. And they ran aground, and it was too slow, the help coming 
to refloat the boat. The walls are receded very quickly, apparently, and the Amazon is under pressure from the El Nino weather phenomenon, and the volume of rainfall in the northern Amazon is below any historic average. So, yet again, we have the problem of a lack of water in the waterways that we expect to transport our goods. Now, it's a critical time of year right now for many retailers as they begin to ensure that they've got the stocks, the inventory levels right for the Christmas sales period. I know we're quite a way off Christmas yet, but it's only two months thereabouts, and you have to have that stock planned well in advance. You have to purchase it, you have to make sure it's going to be on time, you have to make sure it's not disrupted in any way or held up, and you have to ensure it's in store when customers want to buy. Otherwise, you can't sell the stock and you can't sell the goods, and of course, that means profits lost. And not just profits lost, it means the costs might increase as well because you have to hold the stock for longer and I was reading a little piece that I came across about uh, various clothing retailers having increased their stocks for the sales period and keeping their fingers crossed that they can actually sell it during the next quarter so have you got your stock and inventory in place are you managing the stock carefully do you have visibility are you managing the volumes are you watching that velocity? Are you watching all the things that I have in my 7Bs? If you're not, you should be. On a related note to this, I read this week that there are shortages of game birds likely in supermarkets in the United Kingdom. And this is because they don't have sufficient seasonal workers to pluck the birds. So they're unlikely to make their way to the shelves in time for sales during this seasonal time of year that we're heading up to. So will it affect the Christmas turkeys as well? Well, haven't heard anything about that yet, but it just struck me that uh, if you haven't got enough seasonal workers, perhaps that problem will be uh, more loudly voiced in the next month or so. So we'll have to see. And apparently the shortage of workers in the United Kingdom due to uh, plucking these birds to get them ready for sale is an issue to do with Brexit. So once again, it's the Brexit problem of having seasonal workers not having visas to enter the UK, as in the past. And a tangential story to this that I came across in the Wall Street Journal with an article by Liz Young. And this was quite interesting because she says that logistic operators are giving workers more flexibility because of the competition for labour from Uber, Instacart and other app-driven companies. So the gig economy is reaching into the warehouse. That's what she says. And... It's because these other companies are offering more flexibility in areas such as scheduling and choices on shifts. And that's how they're competing for labour, by making the time schedules that people want to work available to them. More operators seem to be using flexible workers and they're using software not unlike Uber or Grubhub to fill the slots. Warehousing is usually quite a tight market, but it's usually quite inflexible when you compare it with these gig economy jobs. So, and they give some statistics in this article. It says the share of logistics workers who had gig-type jobs, where they do a four- to six-hour shift, rose by 21% this year, from 15% in 2021. 
About 43% of logistics workers that were surveyed said they would be interested in that kind of flexible schedule. Warehouses have usually used staff agencies to employ people, but they're now looking to fill jobs differently, rather like Uber and these other companies that use casual labour in that way. So uh, they're casualising the, the job in that, in that sense, aren't they? So the warehouse moves to the app. That seems to be the message. The first nine months of 2023 alone saw 187 box ships commissioned. Most were ordered by liner operators, and that adds about 1.75 million 20 equivalent units capacity. These new orders take the order book to an all-time peak of 7.88 million TEUs, which is equivalent to about 29% of the in-service fleet. So this is according to an Alpha Liner report, which was uh, which I came across in Container News. And they give two obvious reasons why ordering continues at such a massive scale. They say, number one, carriers are still sitting on large amounts of cash after having made record profits in the wake of COVID-19. And secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, the desire to decarbonise is driving order frenzy. Methanol-powered ships represent 52% of the new capacity, while LNG-powered new builds comprise 31%. That takes the total share of green ships to 83%. The French carrier CMA-CGM has been the most active, going for both LNG propulsion, another 10 24,000 TEU ships, and methanol dual fuel, 6 15,000 TEU, 12 13,000, and 8 9,200 TEU new builds, costing 6.5 billion US dollars. Taiwan Evergreen Marine Corporation chose methanol as the alternative fuel for another 24 ships of 16,000 TEUs, costing 4.62 billion, and MSC will increase its LNG-powered fleet by another 20 ships, 10,300 and 11,400 TEU, ordered at the Zhushan Changong International Shipyard. Maersk, who recently delivered 2,136 TEU, Laura Maersk, is the only methanol-powered container ship currently in service. It's ordered six 9,000 dual-fuel vessels, and the Maersk order book is expected to grow further. It's looking to construct 15 methanol-powered ships of 3,500 TEUs, so smaller ships. Some of the remaining non-green ships will also be possible to be converted to methanol-ready 16,000 TEU ships for Costco. So quite an interesting report on the development of those ships. Now, I read an interesting report this week, and it was about Primark and their approach to sustainability, about the impact of the crackdown on greenwashing. And you might be aware that legislators and regulators everywhere have decided to take real issue with the way companies are reporting green issues. Michelle McKettrick is the chief customer officer at Primark, and she believes that big brands need to be vocal about the work they do on sustainability, even when there are challenges in order to encourage progress across the industry. And she thinks that the increased attention paid to issues when it comes to greenwashing is a big deterrent for brands, and it will stop them talking about sustainability and the things they do to achieve it. In a panel discussion 
about sustainability at Marketing Week's Festival of Marketing, she warned that the regulations and the increased attention about greenwashing is actually making people stop talking about it. And she raised the idea that this was green hushing and said that more brands could be forced to just simply be quiet when it comes to talking about sustainability. If you're going to get big fines or you're going to get hauled over the coals for statements that you make, even when you're trying to be sustainable, you stand the chance of falling foul of the regulatory bodies who are the observers and auditors of uh, greenwashing. Companies are very fearful, of course, of the backlash from consumers when it comes to greenwashing or because they're struggling to meet their own targets that they've set. And this is becoming more and more of an issue. Governments are taking a tougher line all over the world in relation to greenwashing. And recently, the Advertising Standards Authority in the United Kingdom also took a strict approach, banning ads from brands including Alpro, Innocent and others. I recently attended a webinar by the Chartered Institute of Marketing in the UK where they were talking about sustainability issues and how it was important not to be engaging in greenwashing. And many marketers are actually suspicious about dealing with the issue when they're talking about brands in relation to their green credentials. Consumers are quite savvy and consumers also detest greenwashing by big brands, especially when they know it's completely untrue from their experience. But perhaps if green hushing becomes the new replacement for greenwashing, then that's perhaps equally as bad. So let's hope it doesn't come to that. Greenwashing, of course, is the disinformation or dissemination of false information about being environmentally responsible to enhance your public image. So uh, that's problematic, of course, if people are putting stuff out there that isn't true. Greenwashing on many occasions is just companies doing business as usual while pretending to be doing better. The Primark Curse Initiative is designed to produce more sustainable and affordable fashion for all. This initiative by Primark is supposed to give good prices to consumers and it also is designed to make clothes which are sustainable, don't damage the planet and they're made by people who get paid fairly and all the stuff that people talk about when it comes to environment, sustainability and governance. And they've set out nine new commitments and the commitments include nurturing nature, halving carbon emissions, eliminating waste, protecting and improving the livelihoods and resilience of the people who make Primark clothes. And that seems to be in alignment with the uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's unclear when this was actually launched, this Primark curse, but it's a couple of years, I think, when it, the idea started up. And one source mentions that... Uh, the first product range designed and made to be reloved and recycled came on stream mid-April 2021. Laura Whitmore is an Irish model, TV presenter and long-time champion of sustainable fashion. And she's the Primark Kerr's ambassador. She models the latest denim from Primark Kerr's collection in Grazia magazine. The denim range is designed in partnership with Ellen MacArthur Foundation as part of the Jeans Redesign project, aiming to redesign and make products aligned with the principles of circular fashion. And she became the Primark Care Ambassador in 2021, with the hashtag, sustainability should be available to all. There's a so-called transparency index of fashion, which shows 
that it doesn't have enough safeguards or plans to protect workers and suppliers in the supply chain. The Go Transparent movement is targeting Primark and five other major fashion brands, and Primark will be compelled to comply if it intends to maintain its reputation. Primark has started a campaign using influencers, and Laura Whitmore is the face of Primark Cares, which is an effort to help the people who make their clothes and protect the environment. And there seems to be a big push by a number of retailers now, accepting the fact that uh, there are too many clothes around, and they're saying that people should always prefer buying used clothes over new, but it's understandable that it can be difficult to locate exactly what you want or something trendy. So they're still trying to encourage new purchasers, of course, because that's their business. Primark's a member of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, and it has been since 2002 when it adopted paper bags instead of plastic bags and implemented steps to reduce waste and packaging. They also pledged to remove dangerous chemicals from the manufacture of clothes as part of a Greenpeace detox campaign. And Primark is now working to figure out how it affects the climate by tracking and reporting the greenhouse gas emissions that come from both of its operations and parts of the supply chain. But it hasn't said what it's doing to cut those gases, and it hasn't set a goal to do so. Primark is part of Associated British Foods, but the business model is built around producing lots of cheap, disposable, fast fashion. And that's always going to be at odds with reducing waste and, of course, being good for the environment because it's actually bad for the environment and it's incompatible with the ethics of ethical fashion, even though, of course, they do adopt the Ethical Trading Initiative Code of Conduct. Well, that's it for the News Roundup this week, all things impacting global supply chains. So I hope you've gleaned something from this episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time. But before I go, I want to tell you about a few shows that are coming up that you might want to drop by and pick up. We've got one on the future of sustainable food systems, where we take a look at Food Farming and Countryside Commission Report, which discusses everything from junk food, advertising, to sustainable farming. And we also look at the $12 trillion of hidden cost in the global food system and efforts by the World Bank Food System 2030 program. So you might want to drop by if you're interested in food supply chains and have a listen to that one. And we've also got an episode called Enhancing Supply Chain Success Through Customer Focus. And we ask the question, what's the missing link in your supply chain? Could it be a shift in focus towards the customer? If you want to know about customer focus in the supply chain, then this is definitely an episode for you to drop by and pick up and have a listen to. We also have three episodes on the front end of the supply chain looking at how we create the demand in any supply chain in the first place. So we take a look at advertising to begin with, and then we take a look at third-party cookies and how advertisers use that data in the second episode. And in the final episode, we take a look at programmatic advertising using digital advertising techniques and systems. So if you're interested in that part of the supply chain and you want to have a better understanding of the front end and the marketing links into the supply chain, then that's a good one for you to take a look at. We also have an episode which is out called The Far-Reaching Impacts of Infrastructure Investment, where we take a look at transport investment and why government funding for those infrastructure projects, those big projects, is important. And we explore the case of HS2 in the United Kingdom, amongst others, and the California rail system. And the other episode coming your way, 
which will be out shortly, is called Redefining Consumption Habits for a Sustainable Future. So are you ready to redefine your consuming habits and to build sustainable futures? Well, we'll take a look at the environmental impact of supply chains and ways in which they can be improved to redefine that consuming future. Well, that's it for now. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks for listening. And thanks for coming along to listen every week. Subscribe to the channel and you'll be able to be the first to know what's coming next from the Chain Reaction podcast. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains and we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.